We should be at Ezekiel chapter 19. Father, we do ask that you just bless this time in the study of your word. And as we see Ezekiel writing these words down, uh, there's application for us today. As we watch a nation that is becoming more faithless, turning away from you, it it should cause us to lament, even as Ezekiel is given this this, uh, lament, this weeping, uh, really displaying your heart towards the nation. And Lord, I do pray that uh, we would uh, learn from it. And these things are written for our admonition, uh, for our encouragement, for our warning, even, correction. And Lord, all of your word is, is profitable. So we give you this time to study of your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So, of course, Ezekiel has been speaking to a nation. He's off in the captivity. And he is having visions. He is giving uh, parables. Uh, he is giving riddles. He's, he is giving illustrations of a, a message of God to the people uh, that are in captivity of their rebellion and disobedience against the Lord. And last week, we, as we ended in chapter 18, it was a very important chapter for us to look at because what Ezekiel is saying is that the proverb that has been in the land, and of course Jeremiah even mentioned it, so apparently it was a well-known proverb that the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. As um, they were saying that, and as I live, says the Lord God, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. And the soul who sins shall die. So in chapter 18, we saw a very important truth given to us in scripture. And that is personal responsibility and accountability. That each individual is going to be accountable for their sin. And what had happened in Israel and Judah at this time is they were saying our teeth are set on edge. We're grinding our teeth. We have sour grapes because of our fathers. They were blaming their their fathers and the sins of their fathers uh, for what they were going through when the Lord has spoken to them. Over and over again during this time, he has Jeremiah that's in Jerusalem speaking to the people that are there that have not been taken off into captivity to the leaders and saying, repent, turn back to the Lord. But they refuse to do that. Uh, We know that Ezekiel is there in captivity in Babylon. He's just north of Babylon, and he is speaking to, as the elders come to him, and to the people about their rebellion. And then also we have Daniel that is in the palace of Babylon there as he is ministering uh, to Nebuchadnezzar, and, and he is giving the word of the Lord as well. So the Lord keeps speaking to them, but they won't listen. And they were blaming, you know, everyone else. They also had a false hope, thinking that nothing's going to happen to us in Jerusalem. So Ezekiel is addressing all these things as we go through this book, and he will continue to do so. As we move into chapter 19, he gives this uh, lamentation for the princes of Israel uh, here, this lamentation for the kings of Israel. And as we read in verse 2 and say, uh, What is your mother, a lioness? She lay down among the lions, among the young lions. She nourished her cubs. So this is given to the lioness of the southern nation of Judah. And we see that he gets more specific in this lamentation. Now, this lamentation, of course, 
we were in the book of Lamentation before we went into Ezekiel, written by Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was writing the book of Lamentations. It was kind of like a, uh, describing a funeral for a city, as he would see Jerusalem being destroyed. Uh, he would describe from within the city, from outside of the city, looking towards the city, the destruction of the Chaldeans that came into Jerusalem to destroy the city. Of course, Jeremiah was there telling the leaders, don't rebel against Nebuchadnezzar, be subject to him, and if you are, that if you submit to him, then the city will be spared and your lives will be spared. But if you rebel against Nebuchadnezzar, which, of course, we have discussed in details in our previous studies, that if you rebel against him, then he's going to come in and destroy the city. And there was the false prophets that were on the scene saying, nothing's going to happen to us. And, and pretty much at this time, that Ezekiel was taken off in the second deportation, they were saying that, well, it's only going to last a couple years. And Jeremiah said, no, that the, the captivity is going to be 70 years. We saw it very clearly in his book. And the false teachers were saying, Jerusalem will be spared. Nothing's going to happen. The, the captivity is only going to be a couple years. Nebuchadnezzar is going to fall in that time. And, and here is Jeremiah given that lamentation of what would happen to Jerusalem. This great death, destruction, and devastation would take place. And then here is Ezekiel given this lamentation. It's kind of like the drumbeat of a funeral um, that is being displayed. And uh, as we continue in verse 3, she brought up one of her cubs and he became a young lion and learned to catch prey and he devoured men. The nations also heard of him. He was trapped in their pit and they brought with him chains to the land of Egypt. So the first young cub is J.O. Ahaz. Now, We've gone over this, so I'm just going to review it very quickly. That Josiah was the last of the godly kings that came on the scene before the captivity. And Josiah was killed in 609 B.C. by Necho, the king of Egypt, up in the valley of Megiddo, north of Jerusalem. And his son became the king, J.O. Ahaz. And he reigned only for three months. But what is interesting here is in verse 3, as we read, that he devoured men. Uh, you read about J.O. Ahaz, his brief uh, reign in Jerusalem in 2 Kings chapter 23 and verses 20 through 22. Also in 2 Chronicles at the end of the book. And here it tells us a little bit of information that he devoured men. In other words, he was very cruel in his reign. And Necho, uh, Pharaoh Necho, uh, the king of Egypt, he would take Jehoahaz away to Egypt and uh, in captivity. And there is Jehoahaz. He would die there. And that wasn't unusual because he didn't want Jehoahaz to try to avenge the death of his father. And so here is Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, who did evil in the sight of the Lord. We know that is given to us in Second Kings and also in Second Chronicles. And we know that the rest of the four kings that would rule before the destruction of Jerusalem were all evil kings. So he goes off into captivity. Verse 5 we read, And when she saw that uh, she waited, that her hope was lost, she took another of her cubs and made him a young lion. 
He roved among the lions and became a young lion and learned to catch prey. He devoured men, and he knew their desolate places and laid waste their cities. The land with its fullness was desolate, and the noise of the roaring. Verse 8, Then the nations set against him from the province on every side and spread their net over him. He was trapped in their pit. They put him in a cage with chains and brought him to the king of Babylon. They brought him in nets that his voice should no longer be heard on the mountains of Israel. So this cub is Jehoiakim. He also, uh, the son of Jehoiakim with an M, we know that Jehoiakim would reign for about 11 years. We talked about how horrible of a king he was. He was very cruel. He was very brutal, did evil in the sight of the Lord. He would be killed. It is believed by, by Nebuchadnezzar as he came in the second time into Jerusalem. So there is Jehoiakim with an N, his son, reigning for three months. He was taken off into captivity. And we know from Scripture that he's there for over 30 years in prison until he ends up being released by evil Merodach. He ended up becoming the king of Babylon after Nebuchadnezzar had died. So he ended up being released. But verse 6 says that he devoured men. We continue with this lamentation. Verse 10, your mother was like a vine in your bloodline. Planted by the waters, fruitful and full of branches, because of many waters. She had strong branches for scepters of rulers. She towered in stature above the thick branches, and was seen in her height amid the dense foliage. Verse 12, but she was plucked up in fury. She was cast down to the ground, and the east wind dried her Fruit. Her strong branches were broken and withered. The fire consumed them, and now she is planted in the wilderness in a dry and thirsty land. Fire has come out from a rod of her branches and devoured her fruit so that she has no strong branch, a scepter for ruling. This is a lamentation. It has become a lamentation as we end the chapter here. So the nation was at one time very prosperous, very wealthy, as we see in verses 10 and 11, uh, fruitful and full of branches, this poetic language. Because of many waters, she had strong branches. Um, she towered in stature above the thick branches. And, of course, when the Lord brought them to the land, he said, this is a land flowing with milk and honey. It is a good land, and it is a very prosperous land. Uh, as you go to Israel today, as uh, you see that little tiny country, uh, not very big, but you have the deserts in the south. Um, you have the mountains. Uh, you have uh, very fertile uh, along the coast uh, where crops are grown up north. Uh, it's an incredible place, Israel is. And it was a place where God blessed them. And it was very fruitful. And they were ones that, uh, as they followed the Lord at certain times, it was very prosperous for them. And in we know that even as we read uh, in chapter 16, that as God is weeping over Jerusalem, and he talked about how he brought Jerusalem at one time, uh, using that poetic language as a baby that was left out alone and naked and, and you know, uh, seemed uh, like an orphan. But I took you in, and I betrothed you, and, and clothed you, and blessed you, and you became beautiful. I adorned you with jewelry. And, and we read all of that. And 
But then the Lord says you trusted in your own beauty. So the Lord had made it to where it was just a a blessing and prosperous and they could be successful in the best sense of the word, um, that the people would be protected by the Lord. Uh, But, you know, and, and that happened during the days of David, during the time of Solomon. But we know that they would rebel against the Lord once again. And the winds from the east blew in dry, hot air, verses 12 through 14. And it would be the Babylonians that would come along, of course, blowing in from the east to bring God's hot judgment. But verse 14 is interesting, that fire has come out of a rod of her branches uh, and devoured her fruit so that she no, uh, has no strong branch, a scepter for ruling that is speaking of Zedekiah, the last king in the line of David. And it's what is interesting historically is that David, of course, was told that David, that your throne's going to be established forever. And the house of Judah would have the descendants of David sit upon the throne of David. And, of course, later on, the Messiah would come from the line of David. That was the promise of the Lord. But Zedekiah became the last king of Judah. And even after the captivity and what is being told here, a scepter for ruling, uh, she has no strong branch, is that after the captivity, they came back and they didn't have a king again because they were under the rule of somebody. It was the Babylonians that uh, would then turn into being under the rule of the Medes and the Persians. Cyrus gave the decree that they could come back and rebuild uh, the temple in Jerusalem. Eventually, uh, that Nehemiah in 445 B.C. was told that he could come back and rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. After the, uh, the Medo-Persian Empire came the Grecians that ruled over that area, and then came Rome. So there was no king that was ruling over Israel. They had leaders, civil leaders. They had governors, things like that. Zerubbabel was the civil leader when he came back uh, after the captivity. Joshua was the high priest. But what had happened is that the the uh, what we saw was that um, the royal line uh, of David kind of went underground. And, and we haven't seen a king like we have seen in the historical books up until the time that Jerusalem was destroyed the first time in 586 B.C. So that's what's being talked about here in verse 14. And now as we move into chapter 20, we're going to see that the chapter we see God's message to Israel's past rebellion. We read in verse 1, It came to pass in the seventh year, in the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, that certain of the elders of Israel came to inquire of the Lord and sat before me. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the elders of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Have you come to inquire of me? As I live, says the Lord, I will not be inquired of by you. So some of the elders come to Ezekiel, and the date given would put it about 591 B.C. This is about five years, six years before the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, the questions that the elders ask Ezekiel is not recorded here in the chapter. And the answer God gives them is not according to their question. That's the implication here. They weren't asking to truly know an answer. They were hoping that Ezekiel would answer in a way that would please them. And, and so God here is going to give a history of their rebellion. And he's going to talk about that. But we know that they're probably coming 
wanting to know, just as Jeremiah uh, experienced the same thing, that, hey, speak to the king favorable things. Don't, don't talk about destruction. Don't talk about captivity. Don't talk about judgment. And you see, sometimes even today, the people that we talk to, they don't want to hear that. They want to hear of God of love, who accepts everyone, that there is going to be no judgment for their sin if they reject Jesus. The good news that we have is Jesus took the judgment for you and for me on the cross of Calvary, and those of us who come to faith that we are forgiven. But there are people, they don't want to hear that part. They, they just want nice words, and God loves everyone, and we're all going to end up in heaven together, and there's going to be no judgment of the world at the end. Matter of fact, we're all going to just... Uh, end up in this, you know, uh, evolve in this utopia or even those of certain circles of Christianity saying that there's going to be this spiritual uh, awakening to where the church is going to grow and take over the world. All these different things, just these messages that can be very appealing to the flesh and sound so good. It, it reminds me of what we read about in 1 Kings chapter 22. And in that, we know that Ahab was the king of Israel. He was a very wicked king. And as you read that chapter, you see where it was Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, that goes and sees Ahab. And Jehoshaphat was a good king. And he had this tendency that he would kind of align himself with Ahab for, for different reasons. But he, he, I think that Jehoshaphat really wanted the nations to come together. And, and there's some, you know, family connections that were there. But Jehoshaphat's there with Ahab. And Ahab says to Jehoshaphat, hey, why don't you join us in battle against the Syrians? I'm going to do battle with them. And Jehoshaphat said, sure, you know, um, we can do this. And um, he, he would say, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. But then Jehoshaphat said something. He said, why don't we inquire of the word of the Lord today, which was wise for Jehoshaphat to do that. But the king of Israel, Ahab, he, he responded by saying, well, you know what, I'm gonna, i got these 400 guys here. And so these 400 prophets came. They were false prophets. And they got, you know, to where they were, you know, stomping their feet and, and giving these illustrations of, a, uh, of goring the Syrians and saying, yes, go up against the Syrians. You'll defeat them. You're, you're going to, you know, charge them. You're going to gore them with your horns and all of this. And it was quite a scene. And Jehoshaphat basically said, you know, I don't know about these guys. Do you have just a prophet of the Lord? And it was Ahab that said, well, I do have this prophet, uh, but he speaks badly of me. Um, he, he speaks against me. And as they're bringing the prophet of God, uh, Micaiah, uh, they said to him, the guards, hey, whatever you speak, speak favorably to the king. Don't speak against the king. Speak words that will please him. And so the prophet of God comes to Ahab and says, you know, as Ahab says, should I go up against the Syrians, me and Jehoshaphat? He said, go ahead. Go ahead and go against them. And there must have been something in his voice that was very sarcastic because Ahab said, see, he, 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 he doesn't like me. He prophesies against me. And, and so the prophet of God gives a true word of the Lord and says that the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all those prophets, those 400 prophets of yours, 
and the Lord has declared disaster against you. Ahab, you guys are going to lose, and you're going to die. And he was put into prison, and there he was persecuted for giving the word of the Lord. Listen, we live in a day, in a culture, where people like to hear things that please their flesh. Oh, don't, don't speak about God's judgment. Don't speak about, you know, um, how things are going to end the tribulation period. Don't speak about those things. Speak nice words. And, and even in the church at large, we can hear those messages that are very pleasing to the flesh. You know, God just wants you to be healthy and wealthy. And, and you won't have any sufferings. You won't have any trials. You won't have any difficulties. You just got to have enough faith or plant your seed faith, money, or whatever the case may be, and things that appeal to the flesh. We need to be students of the Word of God, folks. And we need to, and we have the blessings of the Lord that bless us tremendously, but also to take the warnings of the Lord. And, and the, the you know, warnings that are given to us throughout Scripture about pursuing sin, about God's judgment, and He will judge sin, that there is going to be a tribulation period. That, you know, a nation that forsakes him. All these things that we're going over and talking about. But we need to pass truth on to people, even though they may not like it. We speak the truth in love. It isn't like we point our finger and, and snarl on our face. But in love saying, listen, that, that Jesus came and died for you. And, and he is your hope. He took the judgment for your sins upon the cross. He loves you. Come to him. Give your life to him. But if you don't, then there is going to be eternal consequences. And hell is real. And, and Jesus is going to come and establish his kingdom. But before that time, there is going to be a time of tribulation such as the world has never seen or ever will see again. That's what Jesus said. So we are to speak truth to others. And, and, and here, you know, these guys, they, they don't want to hear truth. They just, they just, you know, want to have their ears tickled. And Paul would say in the last days, that it would be characteristic of those who depart from the faith, heaping up teachers after themselves and having their ears tickled. But let's continue in verse 4 um, as we get back to our text here. That uh, in verse 20, or chapter 20, verse 4, again, you will judge them, son of man, you will judge them, then make known to them the abominations of their fathers. Say to them, thus says the Lord God, on the day when I chose Israel and raised my hand as an oath to the descendants of the house of Jacob and made myself known to them in the land of Egypt, I raised my hand and an oath to them, saying, I am the Lord your God. And on that day I raised my hand and an oath to them to bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land that I have searched out for them, flowing with milk and honey in the glory of all the lands. In verse 7, Then I said to them, Each of you throw away the abominations which are before his eyes, and do not defy yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Interesting. So God is going to be looking at their history from the bondage of Egypt to the present day. And I, and I said I was their God. I brought them out of Egypt and gave them the land, a land flowing with milk and honey. We have seen from the prophets of old, from the time of they went back into idol worship, uh, when the house of Israel broke off, uh, and uh, from Judah, uh, right after the reign of Solomon, it happened during his son reign, Rehoboam, uh, that the Lord had been saying, I, I gave you this land, I brought you out of Egypt. 
Um, I gave you a land flowing with milk and honey. And I've asked you to serve no other God. Put away their idol worship. But they refused to listen. Verse 8. And they rebelled against me and would not obey me. Did not all cast away the abominations which were before their eyes. Nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said I will pour out my fury on them. And fulfill my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I acted for my name's sake. That it should not profane before the Gentiles among whom they were in whose side have made myself known to them to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Interesting that they actually had rebelled when they were in Egypt. They refused to listen to God, and God spared them. He didn't pour out his wrath on them, though they uh, deserved it. And so in Egypt, they were worshiping idols. And as we continue in verse 10, Therefore I made them go out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. And I gave them, I gave them my statutes and showed them my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. Moreover, I also gave them my Sabbath to be a sign between them and me that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Verse 13, yet the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes, which they despised my judgments, uh, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they greatly defiled my Sabbath. Then I said I would pour out my fury on them in the wilderness to consume them. But I acted for my namesake, that it should not be profaned before the Gentiles in whose sight I had brought them out. So I also raised my hand in an oath to them in the wilderness, that I would not bring them into the land which I had given to them, flowing with milk and honey, the glory of all lands, because they despised my judgments and did not walk in my statutes, but profaned my Sabbaths, for their heart went after uh, their idols." And verse 17, nevertheless, my eye spared them from destruction. I did not make an end of them in the wilderness. And so as we read this, these are very heavy verses. He brought them out of Egypt. He gave them his word. Uh, Part of the commandments that he gave to them was the Sabbath day, that they might worship him and be refreshed in the Lord to know his ways. And yet they rebelled in the wilderness. And it's interesting that, as we have seen, that he talked about when you're in Egypt, you're giving yourselves to those idols. And, And even though they saw, and what is interesting is Moses said to Pharaoh, that let my people go, that they may go out and worship. And Pharaoh said no. And the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's going to find out that I am the Lord and the other nations is going to be a testimony to them because he would break Egypt. He brought the plagues down upon the land and the mighty hand of God would bring them out of Egypt. And as they were brought out of Egypt, uh, we see they come to the mountain of God. They, they watched the Egyptian chariots, uh, you know, uh, that came into the, the Red Sea that parted uh, as they escaped the Egyptian. Uh, the walls of the water receded. The Egyptians were drowned. And yet they come to the mountain of God. Moses is up on the mountain. And they said, where is Moses? Where is this man of God? Uh, And they made the golden calf. Remember that? And they danced nakedly around it and committed idolatry and fornication. And I think, you know, why did they do that? Why were they so quick to do that? Because they had been worshiping those idols in Egypt. So they went right back to, to idol worship and the golden calf. And the Lord, you remember, said to Moses, Moses, I'm going to destroy 
the people. They've sinned a great sin, and Moses interceded on their behalf, and the Lord spared them at that time. But it's interesting that they would build that golden calf because that idol worship was still in their hearts. And that's what we saw with Josiah. There was reforms that happened. The last godly king, he, he brought back temple worship, uh, the Passover, all of that. But as soon as Josiah died, they went right back to idol worship. So it's really important for us to know this, that he desires for us to, to love him and be devoted to him. And if the things of the world, the idols of the world are in our hearts, then there can be a tendency for us to go back to those things. And we are to purge those things out of our hearts. Lord, help me. Search me. Search my heart. Because I don't want to have other things that end up being a priority over you. Um, I don't want to have any idols in, in my heart. I, I don't want to put my trust in the world. Uh, I want to trust you and look to you and walk in your ways. And that's really the lessons as we see this. And, you know, the Lord could have destroyed them, but he didn't. He extended mercy to them. Um, and it ended up not changing their actions. As we read in verse 18, But I said to their children in the wilderness, Do not walk in the statutes of your fathers, nor observe their judgments, nor defile yourselves with their idols. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes. Keep my judgments and do them. Hallow my Sabbaths, and they will be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. So he didn't destroy them, but they ended up being in the wilderness for 40 years because uh, you recall, as we read in verse 21, notwithstanding the children rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statues, were not careful to observe my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them, but they profane my Sabbaths. And then I said I would pour out my fury on them and fulfill my anger against them in the wilderness. Nevertheless, I withdrew my hand and acted for my name's sake that it should not be profaned in the sight of the Gentiles in whose sight I had brought them out. I also I raised my hand in an oath to those in the wilderness that I would scatter them. This is interesting, verse 23. Take note of it. Them among the Gentiles and disperse them throughout the countries because they had not executed my judgments but had despised my statutes, profaned my Sabbaths, and their eyes were fixed on their father's idols. And so as we look at this, let's go ahead and read verses 25 and 26. Therefore I also gave them up gave them up to statues that were not good and judgments by which they could not live. And I pronounced them unclean because of their ritual gifts and that they caused all their firstborn to pass through the fire that I might make them the desolate and they might know that I am the Lord. Interesting here. A generation died out there in the wilderness, didn't they? Except for Joshua and Caleb. At Numbers chapter 13 and 14, they come to the border of the promised land early in their exodus. Go and, and, and they sent, you know, the spies into the land, 12 of them. And 10 of them come back and say, we can't go in the promised land. There's giants there. There's large cities. Uh, we're back grasshoppers in their sight. And it was Joshua and Caleb that said, that doesn't matter. Let's go. Let's go into the land. The Lord gave us this land. And because they murmured and complained and they, uh, you know, cried out and said, Moses, why did you bring us out here? Because of continued disbelief and disobedience, they stayed out there in the wilderness. And it's interesting that here in verse 23, let me read it to you again. I Also, I raised my hand in an oath to those in the wilderness, that I would scatter them among the Gentiles and disperse them throughout the countries. 
I think that as you read Deuteronomy chapter 9 and then also in chapter 28, that Moses gave an early prophecy that they would be scattered throughout the nations. The Babylonian captivity was a partial um, realization of that, uh, of the prophecy, that they would go off into captivity, and they did, and then they would return. But we know that also it speaks of that they would go to the other nations. Jesus spoke of that in the Olivet Discourse in the second time that Jerusalem would be destroyed when Rome came in. And Jesus talked about how they will build an embankment around you and, and there's going to be great destruction and you're going to be taken off into the countries and you're going to be scattered to until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Jerusalem's going to be trampled underfoot. So Jesus talked about that time of another time they will be dispersed throughout the countries. And as we continue through Ezekiel, we're going to see some fascinating prophecies about how God speaks about that they are going to come back. So uh, the, the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, some the minor prophets, speak of a time when they would come back from the Babylonian captivity and also from the time that they've been out of the land for 2,000 years. We've seen a partial fulfillment of that in our generation, which is an absolute amazing uh, fulfillment. Uh, we will see it as we get into especially Ezekiel 36 and 37, uh, how uh, a nation that was dead comes alive again, and they'll come back into the land and rebuild the ancient cities that we've seen since 1948. They become a nation out of the land for 2,000 years, when Rome came in in 70 AD and destroyed Jerusalem and, and took them off and they'd been dispersed throughout the countries without a homeland for 2,000 years to bring them back into the land. Absolutely amazing. So here is Ezekiel speaking of that time. You're going to be going out to the countries um, and then you're going to be brought back in. And he's going to speak of a, a, a restoration of Israel here in just a few verses. But let's continue in verse uh, 27. Therefore, son of man, speak to the house of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, In this too your fathers have blasphemed me by being unfaithful to me. When I brought them into the land concerning which I raised my hand and oath to give to them, and they saw all the high hills and all the thick trees, and they offered their sacrifices and provoked me with their offerings, there they also sent up their sweet aroma and poured out their drink offerings." And so the promised land, they would come in, um, and even the generation after Joshua. They, Joshua is a book of victory. Uh, as you go in the book of Judges, it's a book of defeat. And for 400 years, the days of the Judges took place where they rebelled against the Lord. And they went after those Canaanite gods. And in verse 29, then I said to them, what is this high place in which you go? So its name is called Bama to this day. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, are you defiling yourselves in the manner of your fathers and committing harlotry according to their abominations? For when you offer your gifts and make your sons pass through the fire, they were actually, as we've talked about, sacrificing their own children in the arms of Moloch. You defile yourself with all your idols even to this day. So I shall be inquired of by you, O house of Israel, as I live, says the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. 
What you have in your mind shall never be when you say, we will be like the Gentiles, like the families of, uh, in other countries serving wood and stone. So he's talking about their continued idol worship to the very present time and their rebellion against the Lord and not desiring to turn back to the Lord. But now, as we've seen with the pattern with Ezekiel, he tells them the reality of their rebellion, that judgment's going to come the, the, from the east, you know, the east wind is going to come with fire. But then he, he doesn't leave them without any hope. And now it's talking about a future restoration that will come. And we read in verse 33, as I live, says the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm and with fury poured out, I will rule over you. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you were scattered with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm and with fury poured out. And I will bring you to the wilderness of the peoples. And there I will plead my case with you face to face. So talking about a future restoration in verse 33, I will rule over you. And see, God hadn't forsaken them. They forsook God, but he hadn't forsaken them. And he will bring them back. We've seen, again, a partial fulfillment of that in our generation. But at the end of the tribulation period, we know that even Jesus said that, that, um, that I will bring my elect from the four corners of the earth, bring them back. And that's where he's going to restore Israel. And um, I'll bring you into the bond of the covenant, the new covenant that Jeremiah speaks about, that I will be your God and I'll give you a new heart, a new spirit, um, a new life. And, and, and you will follow after me. So it's talking about that future restoration that will ha happen. And God will be faithful to bring it to pass. And then in verse 36, just as I plead my case with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will plead my case with you, says the Lord God. And I will make you pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. And I will purge the rebels from among you and those who transgress against me. I will bring them out of the country where they dwell, but they shall not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So the shepherd would have a sheep pass under a rod and enter a sheepfold. And it would be a place of protection and safety and security. And those who know him will enter into the sheepfold. So I'm going to bring you into the bond of the covenant. Paul says, in that day, all of Israel will be saved in the future restoration. And, um, and that you'll be in that place of safety and protection. And I will be your God. Jesus said to you and to me in John chapter 10, that I am the good shepherd and my sheep hear my voice. So we belong to him. We are in the sheepfold. Uh, we are his sheep. And that's such good news for you and for me. And then verse 39, As for you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, go serve every one of you his idols. And hereafter, if you will not obey me, but profane my holy name no more with your gifts and your idols. For on my holy mountain, on the mountain height of Israel, says the Lord God, there all the house of Israel, all of them in the land, shall serve me. There I will accept them. And there I will require of your offerings and the first fruits of your sacrifices together with all your holy things. And I will accept you as a sweet aroma when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you have been scattered. And I will hallow you before 
in you before the Gentiles. So again, continuing to talk about this future restoration. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I bring you out of the land of Israel into the country for which I raised my hand in an oath to give to your fathers. And there you shall remember your ways and all your doings with which you, you were defiled. And you shall loathe yourselves in your own sight because of the evils that you have committed there in verse 43 loath or despised and then we read in verse 44 then you shall know that i am the lord when i have dealt with you for my name's sake not according to your wicked ways nor according to your corrupt doings O house of israel says the lord god so they didn't you know um you know god's love for his people and restoring them uh the leaders of israel again wanted to discuss the present situation god says here's your history and God is saying to them that my message hasn't changed. You know, people want us to change the message of God. But we need to keep giving them the word of God. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, the grass will uh, wither, the flower will fade away, but the word of the Lord will stand forever, as Isaiah writes. And then as we finish here in verse 45, Furthermore, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face towards the south, and preach against the south, and prophesy against the forest land to the south, and say to the forest of the Lord, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will kindle a fire in you, and it shall devour every green tree, every dry tree in you. The blazing flame shall not be quenched, and all faces from the south to the north shall be scorched by it. And all flesh shall see it. I, the Lord, have kindled it. It shall not be quenched. And then I said, O oh, Lord God, they say of me, does he not speak parables? And so they didn't understand that God would bring judgment because they didn't think that they were doing anything wrong. So they didn't fully understand and embrace the truth of God's word. My prayer for all of us is that we would always be sensitive. To, Lord, give me wisdom to hear your word and, and to, Lord, give me understanding and all of it because your word is true and it doesn't change and is for my blessing and for my benefit so lord we thank you we thank you so much for uh, these two chapters that tell us so much what happens when we rebel against you it's just it's bad news and it leads us to a place that we don't want to go you desire for us to bring us into the promised land that is spiritually a life of blessing and a life and a land of, of uh, you know, flowing with milk and honey. It doesn't mean that, that everything's going to be um, just always good and, and no problems. We know that we will, but it's a, it's a life of blessing because we're following after you. And Lord, we know that the battles will be there. We know that the difficulties come, but you are faithful to us, and we thank you for that. Father, I pray that we would take heed to your word. And Lord, even in th these chapters that we read that are difficult to hear, and Lord, to read, that they're for our benefit and admonition to teach us. And Lord, may we share your truth with others, not just desiring to please you know, people in words that, that tickle their ears, having itchy ears that we know that Paul said that the day's going to come when they're going to have itchy ears, or just you know, watering down the truth of God's word, but giving them the truth with love. And Lord, um, I pray you help us to stand on your word. But Lord, I also pray that you'd help us to have a heart for people.
We read that this was a lamentation. It really shows how you wept for this nation. We've already read that you don't delight in bringing judgment to the wicked. But, Lord, that we would see how people, that how they are deceived and, and how they're in bondage to the world and how they've bought into the lies of the world, that it would cause us to weep and cause us to be praying, to be light, to be true to others, Lord. I do want to pray right now for this storm that is coming, that you keep us all safe. And, um, and Lord, we thank you for the moisture, but it also brings, you know, difficulties and challenges if this is a big storm. So we commit it all to you. Keep us safe in our homes. Help us make wise decisions uh, about this weekend uh, to keep everybody safe, but to be able to, to continue on. And so, Lord, I just thank you. I just pray that, um, that we would look to you in every way. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Uh, Have a safe weekend. We'll be in contact with you concerning the storm, uh, what the plans are, and we'll see what the Lord does.